according to His promise. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. We are in Proverbs 22 once again. Proverbs 22, we're looking at verses 22 and 23, which is the first of the 30 sayings. And then uh, we'll move on to verses 24 and 25, which is the second of the, uh, of the 30 sayings. Before we do get started, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time in His truth, shall we pray? Almighty Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the blessing we have to assemble together. I thank You for brothers and sisters that are hungry for truth, that want to be fed, that want to feast upon Your truth. And we ask for your blessing upon our study this morning that you would open our eyes, open our ears, and soften our hearts. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so as we're dealing with the text here, as we're dealing with the text here, let me get our slideshow up ahead. These are words of the wise, number one, do not rob the poor. And specifically, do not rob the poor because he is poor. And so there's a motivation for this. And and fundamentally, you know, this is a verse that shouldn't have to be said because it falls under the umbrella of thou shalt not steal, right? You know, don't rob anybody. Don't don't rob the rich, don't rob the poor, don't rob the middle class, you know, um, don't rob anybody. Uh, but there's more than that that's being spoken of here, and this is the victimization that uh, is in view that can become societal victimization when you bring the powers of government on board to do the stealing for you, uh, and then when you pervert your legal system and your judicial system and everything else, that ends up blackmailing funds out of out of folks that really can't afford it anyway in uh, in these areas. So do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate. The gate is the place of the of the judgment. It's the place of public business. It's the place where the courts would rule, where the the uh, governing powers would, would issue their edicts and uh, where business is transacted in full public view. Uh, things that we have today with notary publics and, and other uh, other functions of that nature. For the Lord will plead their case and take the life that is, and that may not be physical death, but that does mean a soul deficiency when God himself is affecting the nephesh, the soul of the perpetrators, taking the life of those who robbed them. And think about the culture and think about what you observe every day. Uh, we're observing uh, all kinds of folks with, with damaged souls. We're looking at folks that have heart deficiencies, and I'm not talking about the, the organ, the chest organ that, that pumps blood. I'm talking about the cardia, talking about the inner man, the, the innermost core of our beings. And uh, the, the book of Proverbs consistently calls that a lack, lacking heart or lacking sense. Sometimes they translate it. But it does speak to a diminished heart capacity. And uh, same thing here with a diminished soul capacity. If in fact God is the one that <clears throat> is taking away from that soul capacity. So verses 22 and 23, do not rob the poor. Robbing and crushing is never right, even when hidden within legal and judicial proceedings. You don't make it right by putting it under the color of law. It's still wrong. It's still, um, you know, it's like the Muslim practice where they they will, you get a, uh, a, uh, an imam 
to, uh, to pronounce you husband and wife, and so it's not adultery, and it's not, uh, it's not fornication, and it's not prostitution. And uh, then you can, of course it is prostitution, but you're getting the imam to justify it, to validate it. He pronounces you husband and wife, and then you have sex and do that. And then you, then you pay the imam to issue the divorce, and now it's, it's done, and you go your separate ways, and then she's waiting for her next customer. Of course she's a prostitute. What, what else would you call this? But they validate it, they sanction it, they put it under a cloak of respectability, or at least they can justify it with, uh, with their religious legalism. And, and it's the same thing when we use government to do our stealing for us or when we, when we cloak uh, some immoral act with, with the color of law as if now it makes it right, you know, because, well, you know, the Supreme Court ruled that, that these people can do this now. Well, okay, so it's legal in our pagan culture, but that doesn't mean it's moral and that doesn't mean it's acceptable to the God of all righteousness who has handed down His unchanging standard in His eternal Word. All right. Does that make sense? <laughs> or am I rambling? All right. But robbing and crushing is never right even when hidden within legal and judicial proceedings. And so um, crushing the afflicted at the gate doesn't make it right. Uh, just because you're using the legal proceedings to validate what you're doing. And if other people agree with you, that doesn't make it right either. And if enough people vote, you know, if, if four wolves decide uh, who to eat for lunch and the one sheep objects and casts their vote, it's not majority rules. What's right is right, what's wrong is wrong, and this is God's absolute standard, not, uh, not a democratic process. Anyway, the book of Amos is huge on this, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because we did this last week, but just it's worth just a quick review to reinforce it. Uh, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not revoke its punishment. This is when God gives over and there's no repentance possible. I will not revoke its punishment because they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. People have become commodities. They're just dollars in a ledger and uh, the dollar value for what you can get out of them is, uh, is the only concern. Amos 4.1 Hear this word, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring now that we may drink. And this again is societal victimization on the part of the haves over the have-nots. And uh, the, the language actually involves angelic conflict material when you're talking about the cows of Bashan as opposed to the bulls of Bashan that Jesus addressed when he was hanging on the cross. Anyway, there's other studies that go into that as well. Amos 5.12, for I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great, you who distress the righteous and accept bribes and turn aside the poor in the gate. Therefore at such a time the prudent person keeps silent for it is an evil time. And this is, this is huge. And I, I've been in the book of Amos a lot recently. I just I meditate on it. I'm dwelling on it. We talk about the famine of doctrine upon a land. How do you know when God's discipline is upon a country? When there's a shortage of pastors, when there's a shortage of Bible teaching, and when the people don't care that there's a shortage of Bible teaching. And we recognize that there's a doctrinal famine upon the land. When uh, <clears throat> churches like this one are few and far between, that tells you uh, circumstances related to cursing rather than blessing upon a nation. So therefore at such a time the prudent person keeps silent. So do we know 
the such a time that we're faced with today? Do we know the such a time that we're faced with uh, maybe next year and the year after? And and uh, I tell you why it's heavy on my heart that we better get concentrated with the through the Bible series. Why we need to be on a crash program with concentrated teaching seven times a week, saturating our soul with the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Because my conviction is that that we're in for some very dark days ahead, and we need the believers with maximum stability in. Uh, in the truth. God personally champions the lowly. Especially when you think that no one's there. No one cares, no one's watching. Uh, you don't have a father, you don't have a husband, you, there's no advocate, um, there's no politician on your side because the politicians are part of the ones that are damaging you. <laughs> so where do you turn? How do you find justice when the courts are crooked and, and everything's stacked against you? God is the is the husband to the widow he's the father to the fatherless he's the champion to the the one without a champion the one who needs an advocate has an advocate there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother and these are the principles that we have that are revealed to us in the wisdom literature and particularly proverbs here in our old testament but god personally champions the lowly he's on my side and if god is for me who can be against me right if God is for me, who is against me and who cares? <laughs> so I lost my foam again. So there we go. I got 10 of them and they all keep falling off. All right. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. If you afflict him at all, and if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry. This is like the bat phone. This is like a hotline, a quick, a quick line to God is when the widow and the orphan is afflicted and he cries out in prayer. I mean, that gets front-loaded to the top of God's, uh, not like God's not sequential, but, you know, I mean, it's just like a quick call to, to glory and the Father's paying attention. I will surely hear his cry. My anger will be kindled. Remember, he's slow to anger, but some things will speed it up, all right? Some things will, will cause it, will provoke it quicker than others. And the abuse of a widow or an orphan is, is right there at the top of that list. My anger will be kindled and I will kill you with a sword and your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. The, the penalty, God's discipline is very frequently like for like in kind. And so if you're abusing a widow, uh, you might anticipate that uh, God's going to make a new widow there and it's going to be your wife. <laughs> okay? If you're abusing orphans, God may manufacture a few orphans out there and it's going to be your kids. And that's like for like in kind when God turns that compound discipline upon the person that's living in open defiance of His will. So your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Deuteronomy 10, 17 and 18. And this, um, yes, Circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. If your political system is corrupt, that's not reflecting God's righteousness. If your judiciary is corrupt, that's not reflecting God's justice. If your uh, social programs are corrupt, that's not reflecting God's mercy and grace. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. This is what God does. Why are we defying God? Psalm 35.10 All my bones will say, Lord, who is like you? 
Who delivers the afflicted from him who is too strong for him, and the afflicted and the needy from him who robs him? Just because you're stronger doesn't mean you can do what you want and take what you want. Might doesn't make right. And if might makes right, then uh, then we're all doomed <laughs> because the creator God of the universe is sovereign and omnipotent and almighty and, and we're all unrighteous in His sight. We should all be in the lake of fire. It's not about might makes right. Even if Satan and his uh, program seems to indicate that. Now it is a blessing for us when we can imitate God in this regard. Godly men and women will imitate God in this regard as conduits of grace and mercy. In other words, in our personal lives, in our church life, in our spiritual, in our Zoe life, and in our Bios life, that we want to be reflections of God's grace and mercy. We want to have our Bios life shaped by our Zoe life as we're conformed by our faith convictions to the Word of God. And Job said this was the case in his life, that Job was a reflection of God's own grace and mercy towards the widow and towards the orphan. And of course, he didn't have a New Testament to work with. He didn't have an Old Testament to work with. All Job had was the, uh, the verbal utterances of, of Gentile prophets. But he says, I delivered the poor who cried for help. You know, let me back up a little bit. Because he's talking about the good old days. <laughs> Job again took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in months gone by. Can you imagine the world before this chaos hit in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. The days gone by, months gone by, as in the days when God watched over me. Of course he's assuming that God doesn't watch over him anymore, that God's abandoned him, that he's now on his own. And he's wrong about that, but this is how he voices it in his grief. When his lamp shone over my head and by his light I walked through darkness, I was in the prime of my days when the friendship of God was over my tent when the Almighty was yet with me and my children were around me, when my steps were bathed in butter and the rock poured out for me streams of oil, when I went out to the gate of the city, when I took my seat in the square. Remember, the gate of the city is where business is transacted, where the, the judicial rulings are handed down, where the, um, the, the, legal, uh, uh, the laws are passed and everything else. So I went out to the gate of the city. When I took my seat in the square, the young men saw me and hid themselves, <laughs> realizing, uh-oh, foolishness is over and done with now. Job won't put up with that. <laughs> okay, and, uh, and then even the old men, they will arise. They, the old men arose and stood. The princes stopped talking and put their hands on their mouths. The voice of the nobles was hushed and their tongue stuck to their, to their uh, palate. Almost like those old E.F. Hutton commercials from the 1970s. Remember those? When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. And, you know, Job walks in. Oh, everybody, this is Job, okay? A man of tremendous wisdom, a man of tremendous faith, tremendous godliness, a man that clearly was, was walking in the light of, of, of the Lord. When the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw, it gave witness of me. Because, now now we get into the practical side, it's not just his internal <clears throat> spiritual maturity, it's not just the doctrine that he knows or his walk of faith or his personal internalized convictions, it is the expression of this and how his Zoe life uh, shapes and directs his Bios life. I delivered the poor who cried for help and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me, and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. 
I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. In other words, his Zoe life was shaping his Bios life. That he had the, the soul character that is now being reflected in how he's living his life. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was father to the needy. And I investigated the case which I did not know. If he's told a story, he's not just going to swallow it because somebody said so. He's going to look into it. And he's going to get all the details. He's going to find out the truth of what's really happening there based on what he's being told, but also based on what he's not being told and some other information that could be pertinent to what he's investigating. I broke the jaws of the wicked. Ooh, that sounds confrontational. (laughs) And snatched the prey from his teeth. You know, it's curious, there's some uh, this is a shepherding application. There's other passages very similar to this where a shepherd has to do this to snatch a sheep out of the lion's jaws or the bear and whatever. And maybe you can't get the whole sheep, but you get whatever parts you can. All right? You, uh, you, you don't just surrender the sheep to be completely devoured. You just uh, rescue what you can. Then I thought I shall die in my nest. I shall multiply my days as the sand. So he's kind of thinking everything's set moving forward. He was kind of looking forward to old age and looking forward to you know some, some retirement maybe and looking forward to some golden years. Didn't realize that uh, God was going to put him through a round of testing and the golden years are delayed because he's starting all over again with a whole batch of kids. <laughs> Got to raise another generation. All right, your golden years are down the road. Anyway, yeah, just when you think you're an empty nester and then all of a sudden, nope, they're gone and here's a new batch for you. Anyway, but this is, uh, this is the pattern. And Job's not the only one. Let's get to uh, well another example of Job, two more chapters later, Job 31. And now he's talking about why he could at least accept his judgment. Okay? If um, he starts talking about um, his, he's defending his righteousness and he's talking about at least if he was a sinner he would understand being judged this way. And he wouldn't complain about it. He'd say, yeah, I'm getting what I deserve. So I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? He says, I, wasn't, I didn't have a roving eye. I wasn't lusting. I wasn't um, any of that. And what is the portion of God from above or the heritage of the Almighty from on high? Is it not calamity to the unjust and disaster to those who work iniquity? And see, and this is the simplicity and he's buying into it. He's buying into what Zophar and Bildad and Eliphaz, what those guys are telling him. He's buying into what the world tells him. These are the elemental principles of the world, the stoicheia, that good people never have bad things happen to them. And that if something bad is happening, it's because you've done something bad. That is a stoicheia. The book of Galatians calls it a stoicheia. It's It's a fundamental element of this cosmos, of this fallen cosmos. And it fails to factor in angelic conflict. It fails to factor in undeserved suffering. It fails to, uh, to factor in the fact that a righteous person is still impacted by the unrighteous world that he lives in. And so it's, it's, it's a tragic misrepresentation of this fallen world. But believers buy into it, sadly. And then they can end up with uh, a devastated faith. Calamity to the unjust and disaster to those who work iniquity. Well, yes, it can happen that way, but there are exceptions and there are other factors at work as well. 
Does he not see my ways and number all my steps? Then you start to question, I don't think God's even paying attention. I don't think God even cares. He's not watching what I'm going through. Because obviously if he cared, he would have done something about this. Why, why did he let me endure this? Why did he let this happen in my life? Why? And so you just have to assume that he either didn't see it or couldn't do anything about it. He was, he was impotent instead of omnipotent. Or he just didn't care. He's a liar. He said he loves you, but obviously he doesn't because look what he's putting you through. Now, then we start talking about these ifs. None of these are true. But he says if they were true, then I would at least understand my discipline. If I have walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened after deceit, let him weigh me with accurate scales and let God know my integrity. So if He's not admitting that that's what he's done. But if God's claiming that's what he's done, well then bring out the scales and they better not be rigged. Say, accusing you know, God of unjust scales. If my step has turned from the way or my heart followed my eyes or if any spot has stuck to my hands, let me sow and another eat. Let my crops be uprooted. If I'm truly guilty, well then yes, I'll accept the divine discipline. If my heart has been enticed by a woman or I've lurked at my neighbor's doorway, if I'm guilty of this, well then sure. May my wife grind for another, let others kneel down over her. Okay? Some of this language is kind of crude. But this is what Job's talking about. For that would be a lustful crime. And, and again, like for like in kind, Job would expect that if he was an adulterer, if he, if he had violated his marriage vows, then he would expect that God's divine discipline was going to be like for like in kind. That, that he has destroyed his marriage and his wife's going to suffer the consequences on that. That she's going to be violated. Moreover, it would be an iniquity punishable by judges. For it would be fire that consumes to abaddon and would uproot all my increase. It's curious what legal procedures that the Gentiles had before Mosaic Law and how they understood Abaddon, how they understood Sheol, how they understood destruction, and how um, civil law was supposed to be a pattern after divine law. If I have despised the claim of my male or female slaves when they filed a complaint against me. Notice it's not immoral to have slaves, but it's immoral to abuse them to ignore their complaints, to dismiss them as if they don't have standing, as if they don't matter. What then could I do when God arises, when he calls me to account? What will I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make him and the same one fashion us in the womb? Both the richest man in the world and the poorest slave on earth both came from a mother's womb. And it's by the grace of God that, uh, that they survived. <laughs> survived the womb and arrived uh, on the scene. Verse 16, if I have kept the poor from their desire, have caused the eyes of the widow to fail? You know, they, maybe they have a legitimate claim and then you ignored it or you dismissed it. Or you, um, you ruled against them because the claim that they had against the person was a buddy of yours. And so you're showing favoritism in the, in the courts. Or if I've eaten my morsel alone and the orphan has not shared it. 
But from my youth he grew up with me as a fa- with a father, and from infancy I guided her. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing, or that the needy had no covering, if his loins had not thanked me, and if he has not been warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have lifted up my hand against the orphan because I saw I had support at the gate. In other words, because I could get away with it. None of the other judges in the gate were going to say anything. They're, they're afraid of me. So I can rule how I want to rule, and, and who's going to overrule me? Then let my shoulder fall from the socket and my arm be broken off at the elbow for calamity from God is a terror to me because of His majesty I can do nothing. What it fundamentally comes down to is if the judge, if the king, if the president, if the, if the authority fears God, then he's going to be righteous in his dealings. If he has no fear of God, then he's going the way of the world and you end up with uh, the perversions of justice that, that we see all too common in our culture. Jesus speaks about the example, about uh, the least of these you've done to me. What is that? The least of these. Talking about believers with their faith convictions who in their spiritual life are allowing their, bios, allowing their Zoe life to shape their Bios life. The king will say to those on his right, this is when he comes and he conquers at second advent and he's separating out believers from unbelievers. The unbelievers aren't going into the millennium. The unbelievers are going to hell. But the believers get to pass into the millennium. This is a, a pass-fail judgment. This is not like the judgment seat of Christ where your whole life is being evaluated and rewards are being, uh, rewards are being bestowed because this is not an end-of-life judgment. These guys that pass are going to continue to live. They're going to cross into the millennium. And those that fail aren't receiving an end-of-life judgment either. They're just, being, they're just failing this evaluation and getting sent to hell. They'll come out again for the great white throne later on, but this is not an end-of-life, this is not a post-mortem uh, life-work evaluation. I think that's what I call it. Is that what I call it? A post-mortem life-work evaluation. That's the judgment seat of Christ. After we're dead... We stand before the Lord and we receive the totality. It's like a lifetime achievement award. The whole spectrum of our Christian walk from salvation to physical death is then laid there and the fire hits it and the, the, the works are burned up and the, the righteous uh, deeds are, are preserved. This isn't that. This is not the post-mortem end of life, uh, life work evaluation. This is just simply the pass-fail criteria for entering into the millennial kingdom. And the goats on the left don't get to enter in. The sheep on the right do because they're saved. He calls them the righteous. So the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And I love the preparation that takes place because God's a planner and God plans ahead of time and there's a fire prepared for the devil and his angels, but there is a kingdom prepared for these guys, for the righteous, for the redeemed. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now all of these examples, all of these examples are bios life issues. Earthly food, earthly drink, earthly um, clothing, earthly 
um, medicine, earthly uh, prison visits, earthly uh, clothing. Did I miss anything? All right. This is all bios life. There's nothing here in the spiritual life. It's shaped by the spiritual life. It's shaped by their righteous, uh, uh, righteousness before God and the norms and standards that, that the study of the Word of God is, is motivating. But this is all just very practical taking care of people. Taking care of people, specifically in the tribulation, taking care of the, uh, the born-again believers that are being uh, persecuted by Antichrist. Taking care of the Jews and the Gentile saved believers that are being persecuted because they're not taking the mark of the beast. So then they ask, then the righteous will answer him. Notice they are the righteous. The only way to become righteous is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. They didn't earn this. They didn't deserve this. They didn't, uh, they didn't earn the kingdom because they did all these things. They did all these things because they were saved by grace through faith and they were shaped by his word to do these things. When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine. This is born again believers taking care of fellow born again believers. This is, uh, this is survival in global persecution. All right, this is uh, this is this is not. Um, some people pervert this, or they twist this, or they, they say this. This has to do with feeding the crack addict under the bridge somewhere. Okay, different context. Understand what we're dealing with. To these brothers of mine, born again believers that are taking care of other born again believers. In other words, Austin Bible Church providing for Austin Bible Church when we have brothers and sisters that are struggling. And as we are blessing one another, who are we blessing? We're blessing Jesus Christ. You've done to the least of these, you've done to me. Because remember, he personally champions the lowly. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones. Notice they're accursed. Notice they're condemned. Not because of what they've done, but positionally in Adam, everybody's condemned until you're saved. It's not because of the things they did. In fact, it's the position in Adam, it's their, the fact that they're unbelievers serving this fallen world, that they were the persecutors that they were. Anyway, that's the sheep and goat judgment of Matthew 25. If you want more on that, we taught it in the Life of Christ series and MP3s are on the website and uh, the notes are there and all of that in the Life of Christ series. James 1.27 Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. People have different views on what they call religion. I don't usually use the word religion, but I do here because it's in the text. <laughs> okay, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we are, uh, you know, royal family of God as church age believer priests. And that's our, um, that's our redeemed estate in the church age. 
Uh, to me, religion is a counterfeit. Religion is Satan's method of operation. He's been doing it since Cain and the vegetables, convincing human beings that they could commend themselves to God through some ritual or some works or some merit. That's religion, the way I use the term. But here is a use, as uh, the New Testament puts it, for uh, threskeia in the Greek, pure and undefiled threskeia, religion, in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself unstained by the world. Let's maintain our biblical norms and standards and let's not go the world's route. Let's not rush off the cliff with all the other lemmings that are out there doing what the world's doing. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Let's live the Word of God and let's take care of one another. Meeting one another's needs. Particularly as you see, uh, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, right? That we should be uh, considering how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, stimulating each, uh, each believer in our gifts and our ministries and our effects. Not victimizing or abusing those to be abused. All right, let's move on. Words of the wise, number two, point seven in the outline. Do not associate with the angry. Let's look at verses 24 and 25. Do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Again, uh, very similar. We're going to see this pattern repeated over and over again. It's a do not command. It's a do not principle of wisdom that also lists a consequence of what happens if you do, okay? Do not, because if you do, here's what's going to happen. Uh, if you do associate with a man, if, if you form a close, intimate friendship with this kind of person, and how does that rub off? You learn those ways. There's a friendship learning that's not an academic learning. You're not sitting down with a Bible and a notebook and taking notes and watching the temper tantrums and, and uh, trying to exegete a text. But you are learning by friending this person. If I may adapt a term. <laughs> All right. Do not associate with the angry. Completely forsake companion friendship with the chronically furious. How about that? Found some CFs in here that I liked. Because we must completely forsake as a part of coming out from among them and being separate. And this is a companion friendship that's being spoken of here. I don't like the translation associate because to me an associate is something that's less than a friend, right? I have family, I have loved ones, I have friends, and then I have associates. And those associates are like the lowest level. Am I the only one that thinks this way? That, that you have um, degrees of, of closeness with, with different people in your life? Again, you have family, you have friends, you have associates. And tell me after class if, if I'm crazy about this or if you have different terms. Uh, but in my mind, an associate is like the lowest level. It's, it's, it's one step of, above, I know who he is. <laughs> okay? Um, you know, there's people, I know who they are, but I wouldn't call them an associate because I don't, I'm not associated with them. 
And they don't know who I am, I just know who they are. That's not an associate. Anyway, I'm just not fond of the translation do not associate. Uh, the verb is, is a verb of friendship, and we're going to see the verb here shortly. In fact, this is one of the most fascinating word studies. We could spend a month on this word right here. We could spend a ton of time right here. We won't, but um, you'll see why it's kind of interesting here in a moment. So completely forsake companion friendship with the chronically furious. All right, we're not talking about somebody that gets angry every now and then. We're not talking about somebody that gets angry um, frequently. We're talking about somebody who is always angry, continuously, chronically furious. They are almost never not angry. In other words, it's describing the nature of their being that they are the, the constantly angry person. This is the chronically furious. And if you're associated with that, why? What appeal is there in that? All right, the verb here for associate or be a friend of. The verb here is ra'ah. Now this is a, a, an amazing word that um, different lexicons struggle with. It's one that I have studied deeply because it's a word for shepherd. The verb for shepherding and the verb for being a friend are the same verb. They have different cognate nouns and they have different cognate expressions, adjectives and and so forth. I think they should be separate verbs, but James Strong's gave the same number to both verbs. And so you have to be cautious when you do your word studies on this. And Strong's numbers will betray you on this one. All right, so the Hebrew verb is ra'ah. R-A apostrophe A-A or A-H. R-A apostrophe A-H. And that apostrophe is the Hebrew ayin. That is a closing of the throat. It is the hard closing of the throat, not the soft closing of the throat. And so it's the ra'ah, the ra'ah. Strong number 7462. And a ra'ah is, uh, is a verb that means to feed, to tend, to care for an animal, to shepherd. Can also mean, and I think it's a different verb, ra'ah, that means to associate with or to be a friend, to be a special friend. And then we might want to consider is this one word or two? <laughs> All right, is is a friend? If they really are a friend, is that somebody you feed? Is that somebody you tend? Is that somebody you care for? You know, when you think about binding up the broken and healing the sick and feeding the hungry, and 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 so what we just finished reading in Matthew twenty-five with the, the parable of the of the sheep and goat judgment there about feeding and watering and tending and clothing and visiting and and all of that you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. It seems like shepherding behavior is also friendship behavior, is also brothers in Christ that are loving one another and serving one another behavior. And so maybe at the end of the day, James Strong knew what he was talking about and he left it with one number for these two different verbs. But other, uh, other lexicons disagree. Anyway, one Strong's number for two separate Hebrew words. 
Extra care must be taken for two separate word studies. And let me show you what we're talking about here. I'll bring it up. And for this, let me go back to uh, Proverbs 22.22. All right. And we're just going to click up here the word associate. We're going to select the lemma. Ra'a. And I'm going to open up the word study. So there's our Ra'a word study. Okay? The screen is blurry? Is that screen blurry? It has not been blurry all day? All right. But you're saying that's blurry. Is that better? All right. How old are you guys? <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I just know that uh, Dan and Christopher and Susie are my favorites. <laughs> Oh no, wait a minute. I gotta think that through. <laughs> are the ones younger than me my favorites? Are the ones older than me my favorites? Uh, let me just let that go. All right. Who was it? We were talking the other day. When, when I became pastor, do you know who was younger than me? The Sunday school. <laughs> um, the, the, the teenagers in the church, the, the high school kids. Um, I think it was Isaac Rink was 15 years old. And he was, he was the oldest of the people that were younger than me. And everybody else was older at that point. Anyway, it's been a long time. I'm illustrating here, I'm showing you the difference in Ra'ah. This is the key. And so if, um, if we're not careful, so for example, if I'm going to take this word associate... And instead of the lemma, if I'm just going to look at the Strong's number, there's Hebrew Strong's number 7462, and I want to open up a, um, and I want to search for the, the Strong's number, or if I just want to look it up in the lexicon, I can do that. And that's going to give me my lexicon right there, 7462, and it's going to give me the definitions. And it's going to highlight, you're going to notice, um, 173 occurrences, really? 75 times as feed, shepherd, 63 times, pastor, 8 times, herdsman, 7 times, keep, 3 times, companion, twice, broken once, company once, devourer once, eat once, entreateth once, translate miscellaneously 10 times. And then it starts to give you the definitions here, to pasture, to tend, to graze, to feed, that's the primary translation. That's the first one. And uh, used in the cow and used figuratively and used literally. Uh, but then in the hifil, to shepherd or a shepherd or a shepherdess. To a, but then secondly, notice the second definition. To associate with, to be a friend of. But then you'll notice meaning probable. Okay. 
if a lexicon is putting meaning probable in there, understand it's open for debate. It's open for some legitimate questioning. And then in the cal to associate with, and the hith pale to be a companion, in the pale intensive to be a special friend, for example, as um, uh, the case of uh, Samson. Samson had a special friend, probably the best man in his wedding, and when the Philistines took his wife away from him, they gave that girl to his best man. And of course that angered him and he went and killed all the Philistines. And <laughs> whatever. But this is, this is the, the entry here in the Strong's Concordance, in the Strong's Lexicon here, taking the verb ra'ah as being one verb and giving it one Strong's number but showing two completely different definitions. The shepherding definition and the friend definition. And then you go past that, you get to some of these other cognate forms and whatnot, the nouns, the adjectives, and so forth. Now, that's in the Strong's lexicon. And um, if, if I'm not careful, I might just think, okay, well then that's it, a shepherd is a friend. And I'm just going to take that as a definition and say, uh, shepherding equals being a friend. And then I'm probably going to dedicate my ministry to, as pastor to, uh, to just be everybody's friend. Is that why I'm here? Am I here to be a friend? Or am I here to feed and to water and to bind up and to bring back and, and all of the, to, to snatch, uh, to break jaws and snatch animals out of predators' mouths and all that stuff that goes into shepherding? Now, the other consideration is that this isn't the same word at all. It's actually two separate verbs. They look the same, but they're actually not the same. And in fact, this is what the Brown Driver Briggs lexicon decided on. And you're going to notice, and, and it's probably too small to see from where you're all sitting back there, but um, pay attention if you're using your logos and you see the lemma up there and you see a, a number next to that, like the number two, you realize, oh, wait a minute, there's more than one term, verb or noun or whatever, there's more than one word that has these letters, that has this, this pattern. The, the reish, lan, hey, uh, trilateral that you have there for ra'ah. There's, there's more words besides this one that have the ra'ah. And so in, 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 in that one and that two, for example, that one and that two, this is going to make sense in a minute, all right? Don't, don't give up. The, uh, the one and the two here are your clues that they're separate words and we don't want to blend them. We may want to keep them distinct. And so when I open up the Brown Driver Briggs lexicon, you will notice, oh, look at this. Because here's ra'ah, and there's a two next to it. A Roman numeral two next to it. And so what this tells me is, if I scroll up a bit, you know what I'm going to find? I'm going to find the other ra'ah. I'm going to find the other ra'ah that's got the number one next to it. And so with this lexicon... They, they didn't give it, they, they didn't treat ra'na and ra'na as if they're the same word. They took the first ra'na and said, all right, this is our shepherding verb. They took the second ra'na and said, this is our friendship verb. 
And this lexicon split them up and, and kept them separate. All right? And then, of course, we'll have to study and decide for ourselves. Do we think that Strong's had the better approach, just lumping them together? Or do we think that Brown Driver Briggs has the better approach and let's split them up, let's handle them separately? Now, just so you know, by the way, if you're using the, the word study tool in your Logos software, this, uh, this uh, utility, this whole panel that creates the, the word studies, that, that gives you your, uh, your color wheels, okay? It's giving you your, uh, your color wheel here. This uh, utility, Logos, is, not, is using the Brown Driver Briggs lexicon to form this. That's why it has a two there and matches the, uh, the Roman numerals in the, in the Brown Driver Briggs, just so you know. So what we can do is, you'll notice there's only eight uses here because this is the friendship ratna instead of the shepherding ratna. I may have to let this go. I think I'm losing everybody. But I think it's vital, okay? I think it's vital that we see that we don't abuse our tools, we don't misuse our tools, that we understand what we're really looking at there. And if there's a little two next to your word, ask yourself, why is there a little two next to that? Okay? Because what I may need to do then is uh, change and look at the Ratna that has the number one. Okay? Find the, uh, find the Ratna that has the number one from like Micah 5.4 here and do the word study on that. And now I've got them side by side. This is the Ratna with a number one next to it. And you'll notice there's 167 of those on your color wheel. But this is the Ratna with a two next to it. And it only has eight usages on the color wheel. Totally different words. At least the, the, uh, the word study utility is treating them as two separate words. Absolutely two separate words. And you'll notice the, uh, the top two lexicons there in the list, the Enhanced Strong's lexicon, the Brown Driver Briggs, those are only two lexicons in the library that you can look to, to to see how are they treating this word. You can then move on to T dot and T watt and how and DBL and Ni dot and I mean, you can spend all day just reading Hebrew lexicons on um, shepherding, on the verb ra'ah. And I've done so. <laughs> because I'm trying to find somebody to explain to me the link between shepherding and friendship. Is there one? Or should they be kept distinct? Should they be conflated? Should they be kept distinct? So, have fun reading 30 different Hebrew lexicons about, and a lot of them are redundant, of course, and a lot of them are covering the same verses, the same words, the same material. I know, and, and you're going to go, you're going to get your significant shepherding passages from the, the same passages of Scripture every other lexicon is pointing to. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want, and things of that nature. Anyway, I think it is uh, worthwhile. All right. Ra'ah. 
to shepherd, to associate with, or to be a special friend. Now back to Proverbs then. The context is pretty obvious. He's not telling you, do not shepherd a man given to anger. This is not a shepherding context. We don't have animals in view. That clearly this should be a friendship context. And I think we have, again, the parallel verb to ra'ah is the verb to go, to go with. It's a verb of walking, it's a verb of traveling, it's a verb of sharing life experiences. And so if you're walking with this man, if you're traveling with him, if you're, if you're associating with him, uh, I think the context is one of friendship rather than shepherding, and that's to me self-evident. Or you will learn his ways. Again, this is not a prohibition against shepherding an angry guy. Um, the danger there when you're shepherding an angry guy is not learning his ways and becoming angry yourself. Because if you're shepherding an angry guy, that means you're you're rebuking him. You're you're preaching the truth, and you're you're um, you're condemning his his mental attitude, sin, and and all the rest. Now, shepherding an angry man is is not a problem. But being a friend, being a close friend, associating with that man, um, living with him, working with him, traveling with him, and uh, being a friend with him—that's the problem. What is it about that friend that? Why, why, you know, with friends like these, who needs enemies? Uh, with friends like these, why is he my friend? What am I getting out of this? Okay, because friendship, we're talking about rapport love, right? We're talking about the rapport. We're talking about with friendship, you're talking about the commonality and what you're sharing and, and all of this. How, what do you, what resonates with you with this guy that's nonstop angry? This guy that's just a, a snorting machine, Okay? We're going to talk about his nostrils here in a minute. The, um, the, the, the anger that he has describes who he is. His whole being is characterized by his, his, his uh, temper tantrums. And you're friends with that? <laughs> All right. The angry man is a Baal af. Oh, the Hebrew on this is fascinating. Baal. Remember Baal? Remember the false god Baal? The Baal who is the Lord. Not the Yahweh Lord, but the Baal Lord. Like the Lord of wrath, the Lord of anger, the Lord of the nostril. <laughs> the, the, in the Hebrew imagery, the nostrils are the, uh, the indicator of your anger because you snort or they flare or you just start huffing and puffing um, the, the, the imagery is with nostrils is anger. And that's true of humans and that's true of God himself. God, is, God has slow nostrils because he is slow to wrath. God has slow nostrils. Eric Apayim. Slow, slow nostrils. Exodus 34 verse 6 and, and repeatedly throughout the Old Testament that he's slow to anger and he's quick to forgive and he's abounding in loving kindness. So God is slow to anger. He has slow nostrils. This guy is the lord of the nostrils, right? He is the Baal af. He is also the Ish Chemoth. He is the man of rages. Nostril is singular, rages is plural. He is the Ish Chemoth, the man of rages. 
chemoth speaks of heat, speaks of warmth, speaks of, of uh, you're not just angry, you're, you're hot. And uh, we have similar expressions, if something makes you hot, we can use hot as an anger euphemism in, uh, in modern English today. You get somebody gets all hot and bothered about something, they're, they're angry, okay, with politics or current events or whatever. But this is a man that's so hot it describes his existence. And the plural things that make him hot is basically everything. The man of rages. And uh, why am I friends with this guy? Let me pull this up again too. This can be fun to look at. A man given to anger. Is this also blurry? Okay. Let's turn on the... uh, Nope. There we go. Hebrew in the center, Septuagint on the right. All right. So here is the... um, The Baal, Af. Okay? The man given to anger. This is your Baal right here. Baal. That's Baal. Not just a man, a Lord. Okay? The Lord of the nostril. Of the F. Okay? And then the Ish. Here's your Ish. Remember man and woman, Ish and Isha. There's your Ish. And there's your Chemoth. The plural of heat. The plural of the anger. Or the... Or the uh, the rage, if you will. The guy never turns it off. It never stops. That's his existence. He is a man of rages. All right. Anyway, these, these get very convicting, particularly if uh, a hypothetical person has a hypothetical weakness with anger in his carnality from time to time. Um, you got, be, better be aware of this. If you surrender your life to that, it becomes characteristic. And then it never turns off. And then you're given over. So again, we're not talking about a person with anger issues. We're talking about a person who is anger personified. He is nonstop wrath. And that's not good. So if you go with him, if he, if, if he is your friend and you are his friend, so if he's, if he's wrath personified, why are you his friend? What does he see in you? Does that wrath ever get turned against you? Or do you feed it? Why, why does he have a rapport with you? Because not, you're not his enemy, you're his friend. And why are you going with him? Again, the verb bow, the verb is a verb for going and walking, traveling. And the places he goes in his wrath, why are you there? He's not there for good reasons. He's there to vent some of that wrath on something. And you're going with him for that? You're taking part in that? You're going to learn his ways. And the verb for learning there, aloof, that's a different kind of learning. It's a friendship learning. In fact, sometimes aloof is a cognate noun for a friend. <laughs> so we've got friends in both, both parts of this passage. All right. But this is friendship learning. This is when it just rubs off. 
because your friend has an interest and you learn that interest and whatever. We don't want to learn this. Not at all. All right, well, um, in the New Testament, this principle is presented as being unequally yoked because you've got light and darkness. You have Christ and Belial. You have um, these things that have no partnership, fellowship, harmony, commonality, or agreement. I'm out of time. We'll pick up here next week. Lord willing and rapture pending. With today complete, we only have 16 more Proverbs classes before now and the end of the year. So I'm watching to see him think, trying to figure out where we're going to drop this before through the Bible. But anyway, here we are. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for truth. Open our eyes. We don't want to be the hothead. We don't want to be the uh, perpetually angry. We thank you. We want to be like you, Father, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. We thank you and we praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.